us. Um, but it's really a, a, a great, great privilege for me to be with you this morning. Uh, and I want to use the opportunity to just to honor you as a church, honor your leadership. And I want to honor Dani and Susan in their absence as leaders of this great congregation. In, in Dani, you have an incredible leader of, of whom I have so much respect. He's a great man of God who walks with so much integrity towards Jesus and with Jesus and towards this world. Uh, Donnie has had a major impact on my life, and I just want to honor him as a leader in his absence, and I want to applaud you as church to continue to honor them as leaders. Um, it's a privilege to be able to serve with them, but also to sometimes serve underneath him, submitting to his leadership, because he's a great man of God, and you have a great leader in him. I just want to honor your leadership, your elders, and some of your staff um, of this church. It's really a privilege for me to speak here today, um, not just because I want to preach at different places, but you as a church have an incredible role to play in our citywide church. You have an enormous responsibility for what I believe God has called us as a church towards. In your eldership, you have led by example the very DNA of who we are as a church. Out of this congregation, we've planted so many other churches throughout our city. And to plant churches takes great labor, great effort, and enormous faith. And your elders and you as a church are willing to do that. Not just now, but you've been willing to do this for the last almost 15 years. And I want to implore you as a church, never underestimate the role and responsibility that you have as a church in our citywide church. You are the DNA carriers of who God called us to be. Stay faithful to being every nation vineyard because you are an enormous blessing to us. And not just to us, but you are an enormous blessing to the kingdom of God. And therefore, it's a really a privilege for me to be here this morning, speaking to you as a family, but also to honor your leadership. Um, would you give your elders just a hand? They're great men and women. So as I was preparing for this morning, I just had a sense to pray into certain things. Um, I had an unction to pray specifically this morning for someone that's really going through financial challenges. And I know living in South Africa saying, I want to pray for someone with financial challenges, that's not really a prophetic word. If you look at the petrol prices, everybody are facing some financial challenges. But there was an unction in my soul that someone this morning just woke up with that burden. It's been there for a while. But this morning specifically, you, they, you need breakthrough in your life. If that's you, I, I would love to pray into that. So I'm just laying it in front of the congregation. Together with that, there was someone that I felt we had to pray for, specifically for back pain, a pain that's been excruciating and almost going down into your legs. Anyone that's maybe a, can associate with any one of those two things that we're going to pray into. So would you mind standing? So I just want to pray into that, okay? And if you're sitting next to someone that's standing now, would you just stretch out your hand? 
Father, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are an awesome, great God who sees us in every detail. Thank you that you see these people standing here this morning. And you know exactly what they are going through. You know what's happening in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls. And Lord, I pray now by your grace that you would send your spirit in this moment. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and touch them. Lord, I pray for those that are feeling the burden of financial pressure, that you would now settle that burden with the presence of your peace. Make them aware of your peace, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would come in your divine hand, your sovereign hand, come and provide into that struggle that they're facing, Lord. Strengthen them to stay upright, full of courage, and full of faith for what you want to do in this season. But Lord, we pray your provision over their lives. Lord, I pray for every person that's standing here this morning with back pain. And Lord, I pray now by the authority that you've given us, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would send your spirit and touch their back now in your name. I pray for your healing, your victorious, resurrected power healing to come now and touch these people's lives, Lord. I pray now that you would bring restoration in their body and we command that pain now to leave their body in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as you start the healing process, as you start providing now, Lord, may you continue to do the good work in their lives. And Lord, may this healing and provision not just be for them now in this moment, but may it be part of the bigger testimony that you've placed on their lives. We pray this and ask this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to start off by introducing my family, uh, because when you're new in a place, you start with stuff that you're familiar with to help you settle your nerves. So I'm going to start with what's familiar with me, my family. And there's a picture of them. Um, there you would see, starting with my amazing, beautiful wife, Lindry. She's joining me here this morning. And I know some of you are looking at that picture, and you're seeing my wife, and you're wondering, how did you pull that off? How did a guy like you pull that off? Uh, it's such a great privilege. We've been married for almost 15 years. She's a great woman of faith, follows Jesus in her own capacity, uh, great support. She's my best friend, and it's the greatest privilege for me to share life, family, and ministry with her. Then you'll see there in the middle hiding is Nathan. He's our oldest son. I'm incredibly proud of him, and I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> he did victory training this weekend on honor to Marilu and all the people serving our children. Um, so something you need to know about Nathan is incredible hard worker. Once he commits to something, he'll see it through. And he, he's just got this something that God has placed in him. And then you'll see Lika. She's also sitting here in the front. She's the rose amongst the thorns in our family, and she's a, such a special blessing to us as a family, and something that I can share about this little girl, that God has placed a tenacity in her. She's gone through a couple of things already. She's just, every time, comes out stronger and stronger, and I see something about the courage that God has placed in us in, as believers in her life. And then lastly is Matthew. Now, you can see by the grin on his face <laughs> that there's a bit more to Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> but he's an absolute joy. And, and that what you see there, that's, what, that's always Matthew, always smiling. And there's something about the joy of the Lord 
just overflows in his life. I'm learning so much about what God has called us to be uh, through my children. And, and family is such a great blessing. And, and not just natural family, but spiritual family. And I want to encourage you that as we are in a series where we speak about who we are as a spiritual family, that you would embrace that what God has placed naturally in us as a spiritual family. That you will celebrate that and that you would pursue that with us. Because God has really graced us as a family, as a spiritual family. Uh, Etienne already uh, mentioned this, but we are busy with a series called One. And the idea behind this series is that we are one church, many different congregations, but we are one church. And through this series, we celebrate and we also remind ourselves of the calling that God has placed on us in the church to walk in unity and to stay true to that what God has called us to be. Now, this week, all of our senior leaders, all of our leaders are doing a pulpit swap because that's part of what we want to do as a church. We want to communicate with one church. Different expressions through our congregations. We have six different congregations throughout the city. But we are one church with one calling. And uh, during the series, we're speaking into three specific things that we believe will help us to continue to walk in unity and stay true to what God has called us to. And, and Rudo started last week. The first thing that we said that we have to keep, that will keep us together, that builds us unity and help us stay true to what we are, is that there's one God and we are called to honor Him. And Rudo um, shared with me what he spoke to you as a family from Revelations 4. I was sad I wasn't here. Just what Rudo shared, how he, he painted this picture of this awesome God in eternity, this holy God that wants relationship with us, and we are called to honor Him, to repent, to turn back, and to rebuild. If you weren't here, I really want to go, uh, encourage you to go and listen to that sermon, because we as a citywide church are called to honor God because of His holiness. Today, we're going to continue to speak, and we're going to speak at what is our response in honoring God? What is our response as a citywide church to this amazing God? What are we called to be? And we're going to do this by, by reading from a really familiar scripture. We're going to read from Matthew 25. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew 25. Oh, not 25, sorry. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Now, as you're turning, I want to create a bit of context for us. And I know you know the scripture, but for a moment, can we imagine ourselves in this moment. This is Jesus' last command to his disciples. Now, if you were a disciple, place yourself in this moment. For the last three years, you've given your life to following Jesus. You've gave up family, you gave up friends, you gave up profession, and you're following Jesus. And for the last three years, you've been learning from Jesus, you've been seeing these miracles, and as a Jewish young man or woman growing up, you knew and you learned about the Messiah. And as you're following Jesus in these three years, you're thinking and you're starting to think, this might be him. This might be the Messiah, the one that they said will come and liberate us. And you start to believe in your heart, this is the Messiah. It's him. It must be him. Three years later, he gets captured in front of your eyes. And you're waiting for him to do something. Waiting to stand up and liberate, and, and, and he does nothing. 
Imagine that disappointment in that moment. Not only did you follow him and learn from him, but you grew to love him. You became quite close friends to this Messiah, this Jesus, this teacher. And now you see him being taken off, captured. And there's a hope in your heart. Surely not. Surely not. Something's going to happen. He did so many great miracles. Something will happen. God will do something. But God doesn't do something. Or at least not that what you think he should do. You see this man, this Messiah, this teacher, this friend, brutally punished and eventually crucified in front of you. Can you imagine the despair, the sadness in their heart? There might even be a place where they go, three years for what? Then you get news that he's risen. And there's something in your heart you must go, surely not. Surely this is just, can it be? Can it really be? He's risen. And then you are called back to Galilee, there where everything started, to the mountain. That's what's happening here. You were called back to see the risen Messiah. What are you hoping for in this moment? If you were a disciple following Jesus for three years, and you heard He is risen, and He's calling you to this specific place, what are you hoping Jesus is going to do in this moment? What are you hoping Jesus is going to share? What are you expecting? Now, now the kingdom of God will come. Jesus does something differently. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want to pause here for a moment. This some doubted, it wasn't necessarily doubt in him, but it can also be translated as hesitated. Some hesitated about Jesus and what he's doing in this moment. And I want to ask the question this morning, are you a worshiper or a hesitator? Because all of us in front of Jesus, this is the, the question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I a worshiper and I'm giving everything that I am for the glory of God? Or is there something holding you back? In front of Jesus, there were some that worshipped and there were some that doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and in your divine nature and infinite wisdom, you knew that as you spoke these words so many years ago, it still had the power and impact that it can have in our lives today. And therefore, Lord, as we submit ourselves unto your word, I pray that by your spirit that you would make your word alive and active to us. And as we humble ourselves to this moment, Lord, I pray may you come and teach our hearts. May you align my words with your truth and what you want to do in our lives as individuals, but also as a family this morning. 
And we pray this for the honor of your name. Amen. So here's Jesus, and he's saying, great news, guys. I'm back, and I'm going away. I'm back, and I'm going away. Now, sometimes we're so familiar with this piece of Scripture that we, that we miss the significance of this moment. Can you think about it? Jesus has just done what no man has ever done before. He has risen from the dead. And in that moment, Jesus proves that he is who he said he is. I am the Son of God. Jesus has just proven that he is the King of kings, the Son of God. He has defeated death and sin. This is God's answer to sin. This is God's answer to the broken world. This is God's redemption plan in action. This is God's declaration of love and forgiveness. This is God's hope for the world. What does God do next? Here we see God declaring through the cross and the resurrection, there's hope, there's a future, there's forgiveness, there's love. This is God putting everything on the table. And what does God do next? Here's my greatest strategy. Here's my plan, my hope my, for the world. And here's the strategy. How are we going to see this plan come in fulfillment? Here's my execution plan for the world. I'm going to leave it in the hands of a couple of men and women. Now you guys go. I've done my part. I've laid down my life. I've lived a sinless life. I went through hell. I defeated hell. I took sin. It's done. I've defeated death. It's done. Now you do your part. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. And remember, I'm with you. This is I think about this moment, and, I, and it almost feels like, God, really? People, this is your plan. This is your strategy. After everything you've done, you're going you're gonna to trust people? This? I don't know about you, but I've been disappointed in people before. There's been moments where I've trusted someone with responsibility and it was just acted as if it's not important. Have you gone through that? Ladies, any one of you ever asked your husband to do something? (laughs) They didn't? Sure, for good reason. This is God's plan. (laughs) You go. The hope of the world. You go. Look at the scripture. There's there's a weight that comes on me. God in his infinite wisdom entrusts his plan, the gospel, in the hands of his followers. What a moment. So the disciples are confronted with the decision. They have to make a decision. 
Do they go or do they stay? Jesus is not forcing them. He's not giving them ultimatums. If you go, then this. If you don't go, then that. Jesus is just telling them really simply, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Now will you go? They have to decide. How will they respond? Again, thinking as a disciple, thinking as one of them, there would have been certain things that you had to consider. In that moment, you have to think of, I've already given three years, Jesus. Three years. I've already given so much. Let's be honest. It wasn't always the three easiest years of their lives. But they've already proven something. Must they give more? They would have to consider how their future would look like. What they would have to give up. They would have to consider that going and making disciples will cost them a lot. Just the, the task of going to the nations to travel to those different places will be an enormous task that requires resources that they don't have. For most of them, this travel will involve walking. It's an enormous challenge. Jesus is not asking them to go to their neighbor. They had to weigh it up. They had to consider where will we get the resources. They had to consider, are we well equipped enough do we have everything that we need? Are we, are we, do we have what it takes? They would face some language barriers. Great, they might pitch up there in whatever nation, and the people won't understand them. They had to really consider the uncertainty of their future. What would happen to them if they would go to the unknown world? How will their friends and families react now? What would their response cost them? History teaches us that despite the realities these disciples faced, they responded to the call of Jesus. We are sitting here today because they responded. They were willing to go. And as they went, God was with them and God changed people's hearts. God called people back to them. There was this revolution that we call church. And if they didn't go, you would not be where we are. Started with a small group of people who God entrusted with the gospel. And he said, go and make disciples. And they went. And history shows us it was difficult. History showed us they did face obstacles. And history shows us it cost them everything. But history also shows us that God was with them. And God did something that no man could ever predict. He used those small group of people in such a significant way that that effect of that moment is still felt today. If you think about church history, there's no reason why an organization like the church should still exist. There's no reason. 
The church, unfortunately, have made so many mistakes, have failed on so many occasions. There's no reason why we should still exist 2,000 years later apart from the grace of God and His infinite sovereign plan with His church. And you're part of that plan. You're part of that history. These men and women decided to go. We need to ask the question, why? If we now look back, why did they go? And more importantly, why must we go and make disciples? When I think about the Scripture, there's this one word that stands out for me in the Scripture. There's one word that catches my attention, and it's the word, therefore. What a powerful word. word. Therefore implies there's something that validates what is required. Therefore implies there's a transition or a change. Because of this, therefore that. You ate too much pudding at lunch, therefore you will feel bad this afternoon. You forgot your wife's birthday, therefore you can fill in the rest. Something happened that validates a certain response. This, therefore, that. What validates the response for disciples to go? What Jesus said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. What validates this response from the disciples is what Jesus said beforehand. All authority. What does that mean to you here today? When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. What do we understand when we think about all authority has been given to Jesus? See, these disciples definitely face some challenges going to every nation and making disciples of Jesus. But how could they not respond? How could they not respond? In front of them stood Jesus, the Son of God who gave everything. And He's telling them, all authority, everything is under my authority been given to me. Therefore, go. How could they not respond? How could they not respond to this, not just Jesus, their friend, but the King of Kings? They had to take up their responsibility because they believed Jesus. This wasn't just another phrase. They believed that He said, all authority has been given to me. David Livingston, a missionary, well-known missionary to Africa, said the following. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? When Jesus commissioned them to go, the all-authority king of heaven and earth commissions them, how could they see this as a sacrifice? See, we cannot say, we know this 
awesome, almighty revelations for God. And our lives do not look differently. We cannot say we honor God, and yet we live for ourselves. And our life is all about me. We cannot sing about this God who is worthy of all glory and praise, and yet our lives reflect something differently. Who God is, what He has done, and what He promises to do demands a response from us. Therefore, what is your, what is, what's your view of Jesus? Our view of God will always determine our response to God. What's your view of Jesus? Because the way that you view Jesus will determine how you respond to Him in your life. See, when we lose sight and forget who Jesus is and who's the one that's calling us, then we think discipleship is just something else that we have to do in church. Then we reduce this calling to an optional preference. Then we think discipleship is something that every nation does because we don't have other great courses to present. Then discipleship becomes this thing that we try to win other people from other churches, that church is not doing this, so we're going to do it. No. Then discipleship becomes something that a leader like Dani is calling us to. See, we need to recognize that discipleship is, was, and will always be Jesus' greatest command to your church. Who I am, therefore go. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. Discipleship is God's commission to us. See, for the disciples, being a follower of Jesus meant being part of his mission. It was really as simple as that. If you get the highest authority that's in existence to choose you and entrust you with his mission, how can you not respond? You see, there's a difference when a co-worker asks you and gives you responsibility and when your boss gives you responsibility. Would you agree? Now, some of us, you, know, you carry responsibility in a great way. So whether whoever asks you, you're responsible. But there's a different weight that comes depending on who asks you. When families... Depending, there might be times where I go to my children, mom told you to do this. There's an authority that comes with that phrase. There's a weight that comes with that. And there's occasions where Lindy would go, dad <laughs> says this. Depending on who commissions you will determine the weight in which you carry that responsibility. The greatest and the highest authority in all existence chose them and he entrusted them with his mission. See, for them it was an honor to follow and serve Jesus. Today we have to ask the question, is it still an honor and a privilege for you to know and follow Jesus? Is it still an honor and a privilege to 
know that Jesus wants to use you in his kingdom. That Jesus is commissioning you to make a change in someone else's life. That Jesus is choosing you as his chosen instrument to carry his name into the lives of friends and families and co-workers. Is it still a privilege? Or has it become a burden? Is it still an honor to be a disciple of Jesus? Or might we have become too familiar with this word, this phrase, and the one that calls us? Are you available to be a disciple? You sang that song this morning. I'm available. There's a part of me that's tempted to sing, but I don't know you well enough. You sang, I'm available. Come Tuesday morning, are you available? Do you pitch up? Do you reach out? Do you obey Him? Do you still follow Jesus? Are you available for the commission of Jesus? Are you available to hear Jesus calling you, asking you, and leading you? Are you available to have times with this incredible God because it's a privilege and to hear Him speak into your life? Are you available when Jesus asks you, will you go? What are you living for? Who is the highest authority in your life? Because that authority will govern and determine how you live your life. And if it's not Jesus, it's something else. There's this great saying by Chesterton that says, if we cease to worship God, we do not cease, we do not cease to worship, we'll worship anything. If Jesus is not the highest authority in your life, it doesn't mean there's no authority. There's just any other authority. And sometimes the highest authority in our lives is the one that looks back to you in the mirror. Who's governing and determining your life? Who's the highest authority in your life? Because Jesus' authority is the very reason why we commit to a lifestyle of a disciple. Because of who he is, we say, yes, I am a disciple. And we commit to the lifestyle of following and obeying him. That's our first response. Yes, Jesus, I will be your disciple. But also because of his authority, we commit to the, the confidence to make disciples. Not only do we commit to the lifestyle, but we also commit to the commission to make disciples because of how Jesus ends this conversation. He says, and remember, as you go and make disciples, as you go and take up this commission, as you go and respond to who I am, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you have a disciple standing in front of Jesus, that's a weird phrase. I'm with you to the end of the age because you're not going to last to the end of the age. So when Jesus said these words, 
It was not just for these group of people in front of him. It was for everyone that would choose to follow. Because they, their commission ended with their life. But his commission will last till the end of days. And therefore, if you're sitting here this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus, his words is true for you. I am with you till the end of days. Surely, do not forget this. Do not try this on your own. Do not work from your strength, own strength. Do not try and be a better person. Just trust me. I am with you to the end of days. If you respond to the commission of God, there's a promise that He is with us. If you want to experience more of Jesus in your life, start to align your life with His mission. Because that's where He said He will be. I'm with you to the end of days. If you want to see more of Him at work in your life, if you want to experience more of the gift of the Spirit, if you want to have this deep relationship and experience with God, a life that matters, align your life to the mission of God. Because that's where He's committed to. If we as a church want to continue to experience the presence of God and His provision, we need to commit to His commission. That's who we are as a spiritual family. We need to commit to this commission, go and make disciples. This call, this, this common purpose is the one thing that is one of the things that unites us. And in this unity, there's this incredible power because Jesus says, I will be with you. We commit to be a disciple-making family. That's who we are. That's what we do. We respond to the authority of God, this awesome holy God, and our response is one that says, yes, I will make disciples. I will be a disciple. I will love and obey. What does it mean to be a disciple-making church? We submit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus because He's our highest authority. That's where we start. We believe that He is the highest authority and we submit to His will. We follow Him by trusting and obeying Him. And we reach out to others, helping them to know and follow Jesus themselves. That's what it means to be a disciple-making church. Say yes. It's to say, yes, Lord, I believe you are the highest authority. And I will go. Would you go with me? See, God's master plan for the world is not dependent on having the right people, the right trainings, and the right professions. It's dependent on men and women who will believe that He is who He says He is. Men and women that will commit to follow Him, and men and women that will obey Jesus. As I conclude this morning, my question for myself, for every one of us, and for us as a citywide church is simple. Who's the highest authority in your life? Who's governing you? Are you faithfully following and obeying Jesus? And how can you align your life to His mission?
and slow that one. And I want to just create a moment for us to prayerfully consider who's the highest authority in your life. Just where you are, ask, ask Jesus, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to you and say, God, who's governing my life? Who am I responding to? Would you ask Jesus, Lord, what are you calling me to? Would you ask the question, Lord, how can I better align my life to who you are? If you realize this morning that maybe you've been governing your own life or something else is governing your life, something else is the highest authority and you've lost the great commission, you've maybe out of ignorance or just the craziness of life stopped following, obeying, and making disciples. His grace is sufficient for us and He's calling us back to that and saying, I am who I said I am. It's as easy as for us to go, Lord, I'm sorry. Something else is governing my life. I repent. And Lord, I'm turning back to you. And if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. Lord, I want to, on behalf of all of us, Lord, say that we've had seasons, times, moments where we chose to submit our lives either to our own will or to something else. And Lord, in this moment, we once again want to come and acknowledge and say, Lord, we believe that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, Lord. And Lord, we are sorry that we've neglected that authority, that we've chose to submit to something else, where we've pursued our own will instead of your will. And Lord, in this moment, we're turning back to you, Lord, and we pray that as we submit our lives to you, that you would forgive us, but also grace us with your presence. Lord, we want to say again, I am available for what you want to do in this world. I want to live for something greater than myself, Lord. I don't want to be confined to the things that I can control and the things that I think is important, Lord. I want my life to matter in your kingdom and your eternity. And therefore, Lord, I pray this morning, that you would grace us with your presence as we align our lives with your mission. I pray that in your grace, that you would show each one of us what's that step of obedience, that you would awaken our souls to your moving of your spirit, Lord, and that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities and the people that you've predestined for us, there where you are working, Lord. Lord, may you stir up a faith in our hearts to respond to who you are. Thank you for the great privilege and honor to know you and to follow you and to be part of what you are doing in this world, Lord. And we pray a simple prayer this morning, Lord. As we go, may you grace us with your presence for the honor of your name and the glory of your kingdom. This we ask in your wonderful, your powerful, and beautiful name, Lord Jesus. And all of us say,
Amen.